0: our living hope. That is an amazing name. Isn't that a great name to be shouting out this morning? Jesus. Why don't you just at the top of your breath, shout out his name over your life, over your circumstances, over your pain, over your future right now. Jesus. Oh, I'm sure we can do better than that. Jesus. Yay. Why don't you wave to someone while you take your seats on this great morning? It is so good to see you here. All of you who are in the house and whether you're watching online, we are glad that you are in church in some way today. It wouldn't be the same without you. We are continuing as a church our campaign about identity. And as I was reading through the Bible this week, I came across a character. His name is Jacob. And I just thought to myself, this guy, he certainly went through some identity changes. So today, I just want to share with us briefly about three situations, three seasons, three identities as as Jacob travels through his life. Because I believe that even when we look at the characters in the Bible, whether they've done wrong or whether they've done good, they are lessons and examples for us today. Do you believe that too? You see, there is no mistake in the Bible. God put the stories and the characters in the Bible for us to glean from. And his ultimate gain is that we come to know Christ as our own as we read through. So you can catch up on the story of... um, Jacob's journey of his identity, if you go through Genesis, you don't have to go through it right now. If you start at chapter 25, round about verse 26, and it carries on right through to chapter 32 and even beyond. So I'm not going to read all that today because that is a lot of stuff. But on Genesis 25, 26 is where we first get introduced to this chap called Jacob. And it says this Then the other twin was born. With his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. You see, we get identity within our name, don't we? And what a heavy name to give this newborn babe. I don't know about you, but I've got I've got. I'm going to count up now, I've got four or five grandchildren, Uh, but when they are beautiful, uh, they're babies, and they're so innocent, and they're so gorgeous. I couldn't imagine my kids naming their kids a name like this, because Jacob means cheater. It means deceiver. It means liar. It means schemer. It means thief. It means traitor. It means betrayer. Can you imagine having that over your life. You know, as we give our names to our children, and even today as we call people Jacob, it's a new Jacob, because God has taken that old identity, that old name of Jacob, and he has blessed it. So it's okay to call your kids Jacob, because we're now in the New Testament. (laughs) Just giving a disclaimer out there. But I don't know about you, but I don't think... Jacob had a choice about his name on that day. I don't know where you would do it, what you were doing, or what you were thinking on the moment that you were born, but I don't believe that you had a say in the name that you were given. We are given names, we are given identities, and they are bestowed on us without our say, without our choice. And yet we grow up underneath the names and the identities that other people give us. We look at the names in our birth certificate. You know, recently I thought I'd go and trace my birth and trace my birth certificate. When I did get my, my actual birth certificate back, I realized my name was not spelt the same as what I've been spelling it all my life. And then I realized I had a different name I'd never heard of. You see, there are, in the UK, there are one in every 50 people that don't know their biological father. They have no idea about their genetic history or their lineage. And the experts tell us that when that happens, that we develop problems and issues about our identity. Well, maybe I did along the way, but I certainly know my identity now. But even when we're adopted, even when we're in a loving family, there is a need deep within us to know where we came from, to know our roots, to know our heritage, to know our DNA. We want to know our identity. You see, when we were created, God put that, that desire deep within us a desire to really know who we are, a desire to really know whose we are, our identity. There's a psychologist quite famous and his name's Abraham Maslow and he did this hierarchy, this theory that has been tried and tested over many, many years and he came up with the idea that no matter where you are born in the earth, no matter what culture or race that you belong to, the basic human needs come down to two psychological needs and they are to belong and to be loved. Without those two things, we don't seem to flourish If we don't feel that we belong or we don't feel that we are loved, then we have no purpose in life, we have no meaning in life. In fact, the experts have said that we even get stressed, we get sickness, and our mental and physical well-being suffers, we get depressed, and even premature death. That's a whole lot of factors in not knowing who we belong to or who loves us. And yet, if we gain our identity from anything other than almighty God, then we are limping through life. If we take our identity by what others label over us, maybe our parents, our friends, our spouses, do you know it's often those that are closest to us, those that love us more than anyone else, that sort of put labels on us, put restrictions on us, put identities upon us? They don't mean to hurt us, but still, maybe you today, you're carrying the expectations of someone else. Maybe the words of other people have started to fashion and shape your identity. Maybe the limitations that you feel in life, maybe the perceptions of yourself in life, maybe all that stuff has not been from your own understanding or from God's understanding about you, but from other people that have influenced your life. And so our identity gets distorted. Have you ever heard those words, Uh, you can't, you can't do that? Uh, That'll never work. Uh, You mustn't do that. You'll never be that. But those words are not what God tells us when we read his Bible, when we take it as a living, loving book to us. He doesn't say those things over us, but he expands us. And under his identity, it, we see amazing things happen. You see, God created you and me because we belong to him and we are loved by him. I love the scripture in Isaiah 43, and it says this, but now, O oh Jacob. Jacob represents every single one of us, by the way. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you. Now, Israel is the new identity of of Jacob. Israel means treasured possession, means chosen by God, means God's special people. Who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you says this to you. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have paid for you. I have called you by your name and you are mine. So when we understand, when we realize that we belong to God and that we are loved by God, that is the place, the starting place of where we get our true identity of all that we are because all that we are is in him. But this young baby, let's go back to this baby. He grows up and his name is Jacob. And because he's been given this name over his life that means supplanter, that means grasper, that taker, stealer, betrayer, means all that stuff. But he soon learns that his mom is is the favorite for him. And that his dad favours his brother Esau. You see, Esau was a hunter. He was strong. And he'd go out to the fields and he'd catch the game for his dad that his dad liked to eat. But Jacob was in the kitchen cooking the food. And his mom loved him. And his dad loved his brother. So in that atmosphere, in that environment, already he's at a disadvantage of his identity that he has nothing in common with his father. And he limps through his family life knowing this and he clings sort of to his mother. He becomes mama's boy and he's confined to the house. He's a a cook, he loves to cook and so he sees what his mother does and he learns what his mother does and identifies with what his mother is and then he does what his mother does. In Genesis 27, it says this, but his mother said to him, His mother said to him. His mother told him what to do. And so his his mother then tells him to do some stuff. But he's watched her. And then his his brother comes in from the fields one day starving. And so Jacob's just cooked a a real tasty stew. Any good cooks in here? And his brother says, give me some stew. Because Jacob's watched how his mother's dealt with his father he says, mm, You ain't having none of this stew unless you trade something with me. Well, what have I got to trade? Esau says. Jacob says, I want your firstborn rights. You see, Jacob was born grasping the heel of his brother. His brother was born a few minutes before him. And so he got all the firstborn rights, all the favor, all the blessings. And so at this point of low in Esau's life, in comes Jacob and steals the birthright. He takes advantage of his brother's hunger. And so he steals the birthright because he's living up to his name. And then later on, he does what his mother tells him. His mother hears that that her husband's about to bless Esau, the eldest son, with all the, the proper main blessings of the firstborn child. And so she dresses Jacob up, because he's not hairy like his brother. So his mother instigates everything, and Jacob goes along, and he, he deceives his dying father. His father says to him, who are you? And he says, I'm Esau. So he lies, and he's blatant, and he carries through the deed, and he receives by stealing the firstborn rights. Jacob didn't choose that name. He didn't choose That identity. But for 20 years while he's at home, he lives up to his name. The name that has been given him by other people. The expectations that other people have put on his life. The identity that other people have put on his life. He just steps into that. He doesn't question it. And he becomes a deceiver. He becomes a thief. And it causes him pain. It's the final straw. And so his brother Esau is so angry that he wants to kill him. And so his mother tells him, run away, quick, run. So at 20 years of age, young Jacob has to run from his family, run from everything he knows, run from the security that he's had. And he runs away and he goes towards his uncle Laban's, But while he goes there, he has an encounter with God. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. You see, up to this point, he has been known as the deceiver. His identity is he's a deceiver. And yet when he steps into a new season, he then becomes a receiver. Because he goes and lives with his uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban is related to his mother. And he is a bigger deceiver than his mother is. And so the first thing that Laban starts to do is to deceive Jacob. Jacob the deceiver is now the victim. Jacob the deceiver is now on the receiving end. Now he is the one being abused and used. And the first thing he does is swap his wife because he falls in love with with, with, uh, Rachel. And yet on the night of the wedding, Uncle Laban swaps his daughters over. We know the story. And he wakes up with Leah. But he's worked seven years for Rachel. And then Laban says, well, work another seven years. And you get both of them. So in Genesis 31, this describes his season with Uncle Laban. 20 years I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your two daughters. Then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages four times. In fact, if the God of my father hadn't been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. Here we have in the Bible someone declaring That they have been abused by someone close to them. So now that Jacob is in this season of being used, of being deceived, it's a time of reflection. It's a time of watching how he was, it's a time of receiving the pain that he inflicted on other people. But there's something else that he's learning. You see, as he's going through this season with Uncle Laban, he's realized that he has arrived at this place broken. He has arrived at this place desperate. He's been kicked out of his family. He's lost his beloved mother because he can't stay in that family. He's in fear for his life from his brother. He can't see his father. He's in a place that is not his own. It is strange. He is in a needy, broken, desperate place. It's often when we're like that, when we're weary, when we're worried, when we're weak, that other people can abuse us. There was no one to protect him, or so he thought. But in this time, in this season at Uncle Laban's, he started to discover something else. Even though he was vulnerable, there was something different happening about his life. It wasn't like the old Jacob, He wasn't fighting back. And so every time he was cheated, every time he was deceived, every time he was betrayed by his uncle Laban, Jacob responded by working harder, by serving longer, by loving deeper. Something had transformed him. And then he realized, then he realized something, and I realized it too. I've always thought, Jacob, deceiver that's you. But that was his childhood. That was what was put upon him by other people. When he started to grow into a man, when he became a husband, when he had responsibilities, when he was working for Uncle Laban, he had the opportunity to fight back with deceit. And you can see the pattern of his life where he's he's to in and fro in, and he's getting less and less like a deceiver, but more and more like a giver. It's a time to look upon his life and realize, you know what? I'm not that person I was. I am not that person that I was labeled. I am not that person that my family expected me to be. I am not that person that was called Jacob. And he starts to not identify himself as that person anymore because something happened on the way to Uncle Laban's. And it was this. He had an encounter With Almighty God. Remember, he met him at a place called Bethel. He's he's on his way. He's running hard from his family. He's running from what he's done to his brother Esau. He doesn't want to be killed and he's got to reach Uncle Laban's. And halfway, he stops to rest. He lays down at night, puts a stone under his head for a pillow. I don't get that. And then he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a stairway to heaven. And he sees angels ascending and descending. They're touching his life. They're waking him up to the things of God. Up until this point, God, his God, had been the God of his father, the God of his grandfather, but not his God. And here he has a personal encounter with God. And God says this to him, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. But now I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying, Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread out as far as the east is from the west and to the north and to the south and all the people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And then he says this, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land that you've run away from and I will not leave you until I have done what I have done. Promised Jacob, this young man is running in fear of his life, he's got a load of deceit behind him that was his identity. He goes up and takes up life with Uncle Laban, still carrying this label, this identity that he is a deceiver, and he's putting up with now being deceived too. And yet, I think what helps him through those times, everything he was walking through every deceit from Uncle Laban. He was holding on to the fact that he now encountered God and that God had deposited a deposit within him, that God had promised him that he was going to be with him through everything. God had promised him he was going to bring him back home, back into the place where he belongs. God promised he would never leave him, never forsake him. And that promise was directly from God. and No one could take it from him. Not even Uncle Laban, every time he deceived him. Not even Laban, when he changed, his wages or changed the boundaries or did anything else. Now Jacob had a choice. Would he respond deceit for deceit or would he hold on to the promise of God? I believe that in those 20 years that he spent with Uncle Laban was 20 years of God fashioning him and showing him a mirror. You are not what others have declared over your life. You are more than that. And so he carries within him a promise from God. He's no longer wanting to carry the identity of being a cheat and a liar and a betrayer because he is holding on to a promise from God. And then he starts to enter into a new season, a new identity. And he realizes that God is calling him to now step up It's time for you to go home, Jacob. Now that you have realized that you don't have to uh, respond the way that people are treating you, you don't have to give back the way they give to you. Now that you're realizing that that promise is going to come true, now that you realize that you belong to God, it's time for you to move on. So Jacob gets his family together and he gathers them together. And there he sits at the brook called Jabbok. And the brook called Jabbok is a place of cleansing. It's a place of refreshing. It's a place of cleaning out all the old stuff. And he waits there. And he sends his family and his possessions and his people over the river to the other side. Because he's going to meet with Esau, his brother. But there's someone else he's just about to meet with. Someone that's really going to transform his life. And so... As he settles down for the night, he's in fear and trembling because he doesn't want to meet his brother. You see, when he last met Esau 20 years before, Esau only knows him as Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the the thief, Jacob the betrayer. And he is still angry. He's still wanting to kill him, surely. He doesn't know him as Jacob, the grown-up now. And as he waits, suddenly he finds himself in a wrestling match. You see, this is all he knows. He's a fighter. All he knows all his life is to fight, to compete, to conflict, to struggle, to scheme. He did it with Esau, his brother. He did it with his father. He did it with Uncle Laban. That's all he knows what to do. He's independent. He had to be because no one else was going to look after him. He was strong. He had to be strong because he would fall if he was weak. He was self-sufficient. He was self-reliant. And when you have all those things in place in your life, a scaffolding of self, 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 it's hard for God to break through because God wants the opposite. He wants us to be reliant on him. He wants us to trust in his strength, not our own. He wants us to be dependent on him and not independent on ourselves. And so he finds himself wrestling with this man is actually an angel. Actually, it's almighty God. And as he's wrestling, he's fighting and he's fighting with his own will against God's will. He's fighting with his own strength against God's strength. And God, you cannot beat God. You cannot compete against God and win I thought it was a strange thing to be in a wrestle with God, but then I realized that sometimes there's so much stuff going in our life that we want to hold on to it as a safety net, and we don't want to give it to God, and there's a, there's a, there's a pull and a tug and a wrestle going on. But if we would just surrender and give that thing to God, what we get back is God's strength, God's peace, God's hope, God's glory. We get everything about God. I think that God, in his love for Jacob, realized that he had to do something more to help Jacob break the, the independence. And so he touches his hip. And when he touches his hip, he is now not able to fight so well. You'd think that when someone harms you, when you're losing a fight, that you would clear away, you'd get away from the wrestle. But Jacob does something else. Even though he is injured and his hip is out of place and all he can do is hold on to God. He clings to him. Instead of running from this person who's overcoming him, he clings to him. And he clings harder and he clings stronger. And he says, I ain't letting go of you, God. I found you now. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. And as he says those words, until you bless me, I wonder whether it stung his heart. At the memory, the last time he said that to a father, to his earthly father, Isaac, he was saying, bless me, father. And his father turned to him and said, who are you? I'm Esau. And then he says, are you sure you are Esau, my son? Yes, I'm Esau. I'm your firstborn. And he lied about his identity. He gave a false ID and he stole the firstborn birthright. And now, years later, he finds himself in a wrestle with almighty God with his heavenly father. He finds himself asking for the same thing because this time he realized that this is a blessing that matters. This is the blessing that matters most. This is the blessing that I need and I need it from my heavenly father. And as he clings tightly to him because he knows if he lets go, he loses it all. And he clings to him. And he says, in his mind, I would think, you are my hope. You are my strength. You are my help. I want to trust you. I want to lean on you. I need you. And as he clings, he's not letting go. He hears those words again echo before I bless you. God says to him, who are you? In fact, he says, what is your name? 20 years before, he had lied. 20 years before, to gain something that he really wanted, he had to pretend to be someone else. I can imagine his heart being pierced to the core, every strength gone from his being, but still clinging, sobbing. My name, my name. Is Jacob. I am the heel grabber. I am the taker of things that don't belong to me. I am a thief. I am a trickster. I am a traitor. I am a manipulator. I am a schemer. I am a liar. I am a betrayer. I'm a failure. I'm a cheat. I'm a deceiver. That is my name, Lord how can I ask for a blessing now that you know my name? And I would imagine God thinking, now that you know your name, now that you have faced the truth, now that you have been honest, I can bless you. The poison is lanced out of his heart as he confesses confesses who he truly is before God. There is no one else there. It takes the times when we are alone, when our our friends have gone, our family have gone. We have no possessions. We have no position. Now we stand before God, just us and God. We face God face to face and we are honest and open and say, Lord, this is me. This is who I am. This is my identity. And it does not look good. And when we reach that place, God touches our heart. And what he does here, as Jacob surrenders the wrong identity that he's carried, there is a divine exchange. There is a new adoption as God touches him and takes him as his child, as his son. And he says, no longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. Jacob, the deceiver is gone. Israel, my child, my chosen, precious child. It means you will be a leader of nations. It means you will carry out my promise. You will carry out my will. It means I have deposited something of me in you. And God takes this very thing that Jacob was asking for in a deceitful manner before this very thing called a blessing. He takes this very thing that caused all the pain and all the consequences that caused Jacob to run away from his family. He takes this very thing that Jacob had messed up with and he breathes upon it, he turns it around and what was previously stolen is now freely given as God blesses him with a new name, with a new identity. You see, God is in the business of taking our mess and turning it around that it becomes his message. I've been a Christian for 32 years, but before that, I've also been married to Pastor Jason for 32 years, but before that, before we met, I was a divorced single mom. I'd been in an abusive marriage only for two years, And it ended in divorce, it did not end well. I was fearful, I was alone, I had no family around me. And when Christmas time came, I was alone. I couldn't be bothered cooking meals or getting presents. And my young baby, my young boy over the next few years, I grew to hate Christmas. Yet when I became a Christian, when I discovered that I belonged to God, when I discovered that I was loved by God, I thought I'd do something about the mess that I'd felt before because now I am his child, I have a new identity, I have a new purpose, I have a new beginning. And so I started something called Touching Hearts. And we would invite as a church all the single mums to this place, to our, to our church on Christmas. And we would just shower them in good gifts. We would take their kids and give their kids a party and give them all the toys they needed. And we would give them a great meal because I knew what it was like. I knew what it was like to be alone at Christmas and struggling. And yet God took the mess of my previous identity and he turned it around, gave me a new identity and a new purpose that brought glory to him and brought God's love to everyone else. I wonder. I wonder today, what mess that your identity has left you in Can God take hold of today if you give it over to him and that it can become his message? I just want to introduce you to some people now, people that have had their identities changed through this very same process, through this very same God. Everyone on this stage with me, and some of you watching online, some of you in this house today, you have a story to tell where you have crossed over your identity, where you've come to know that God is the one where you find your identity. He is the one that loves you. He is the one that has bought you with a price. You belong to him. Now, Jacob went on for a while and now and then he would be Jacob, and now and then he would be Israel. A bit much like Christians are today. He dipped in and out. But as he neared to the end of his life, he became more consistently Israel, more consistently in line with the identity that God had put upon him. You know, today we have the strength of Jesus Christ. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that whatever we find ourselves, that we can swap identities If you are not sure right now whether you have ever given your life to Jesus, I'm gonna pray this short prayer. A prayer that everyone on this stage has prayed at some time where they experienced a divine exchange where the old was gone and the new identity came. Lord Jesus, please forgive me that I am living out the wrong identity, that I am carrying the wrong ID. Lord, today, I give you my mess. I ask you to forgive me of all the mess that I have made where I have hurt others or I've been hurt myself. I give you my pain and I ask you, Lord, to exchange it for purpose. I give you my life and I ask that I would now step into the identity that you have for me in Jesus' name. If you have prayed that prayer, whether it was quietly in your heart, whether you are watching online, please do get in touch with us. You can find us online. You can talk to someone in the building, but please not leave this place or stop watching until you make that decision to contact someone and we can help you through what you have just said, your decision. So, Lord, we give you all the glory today. We thank you that you have taken our mess and you have turned it into your message. And for those of us, Lord, that we are not sharing that message, I ask, Lord God, for a greater boldness, a greater strength, for new situations and circumstances where we can start to rise up and share the truth of what you have done in transforming our lives. Because in you, we live. In you, we have our being. Lord, only in you, we find our true identity and all God's people said amen thank you very much